When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Joe. Hi, hello. Y'all, today's author had me up late reading this adorable YA rom-com love fest. So before we jump into it, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Check us out on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. And feel free to email us. The email is professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. With that, let's get into today's interview with Adam Sass. My guest today began writing books in Sharpie on the backs of Starbucks pastry bags. His debut YA novel, Surrender Your Sons, was named a Best Book of the Year by Kirkus and Forward Indies, Best Novel of the Year for Young Readers by ALA Booklist, and he won the gold medal for YA fiction at the Ippy Awards, as well as being a selection for ALA's Rainbow Booklist in 2022. He has been featured in Teen Vogue, BuzzFeed, The Savage Love Cast, and once he was even blocked by Roseanne. He lives in Los Angeles with his husband and Dachshunds. His second novel, The 99 Boyfriends of Micah Summers, is out September 20th from Viking Books for Young Readers. It's Adam Sass. Adam, hello. Hi, how are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you for being here today. How are you? Oh, it's my pleasure. Um, I am great. Yeah, this is, I. I it's so funny hearing like my own bio, because you know, you write, you read, <laughs> you write your bio and then, you know, because you, you, you know, everybody has to write their bio and then you hear it read back to you and I'm just sitting here being like, that's nice. That was very nice <laughs> that happened. Love that. That is the kind of treat I try to pepper into all of my interviews. Everyone deserves to hear their credits read back to them because it's always, <laughs> it's always amazing. I feel like I'm a little cat, like on a pillow being presented. I was like, look at that cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll present you to the audience and then we'll dive in <laughs> and say, uh, tell us about your book. Start us off with The 99 Boyfriends of Micah Summers. What's, what's it about? 99 Boyfriends of Micah Summers uh, is a rom-com. It is, it is my like, tribute to rom-coms. Uh, Micah Summers is, uh, he's an artist. He, he draws his crushes, basically. So the 99 Boyfriends really are, you know, when you're, you know, before you've ever asked somebody out for the first time, you have these like mini relationships that sort of live in your head and they're, they're your crushes and they could be anything. And then, you know, you kind of build up your confidence to ask somebody out or you don't. Um, and it's about that little moment beforehand. So he's had about 99 of those and where he's uh, decided to, uh, instead of uh, just letting them flop and be just, you know, sort of bad feelings, he decides to sketch them into these big fantasy drawings. He's an artist and he runs this anonymous Instagram account, which is all of his sort of like missed connections connections uh in the city of Chicago and uh really those are like that's kind of how he builds his following and people get really into it and they get really into this idea of 
this big romantic, you know, kid who's never been able to kind of act on these crushes because we've all been there. But uh, he's very tired of being single and he's tired of not, you know, taking that chance of, of, of at least asking somebody out whether or not they say yes. So he's decided Boy 100 is going to be that person, whoever it is. And uh, and then he when he meets Boy 100 on uh, the L train in Chicago, they have this meet cute and uh, they're having these sparks and they're flying and he's getting signals and he's ready to ask him out. And then through a series of unfortunate events, they are separated on the train and they did not exchange names, numbers. They don't know who each other are. And so what happens after this is, uh, I call it sort of Cinderella from the prince's point of view, which is, uh, it's a, who was that person? I need to find them. And so he gathers up his best friends and they embark on this, on this grand romantic quest throughout Chicago to find out who exactly that boy was. Uh, and really that's like the, that's the story. It's a sort of voyage to, to really, the jump between fantasy and making it reality. Because I think especially for queer people, we have these rich, full lives in our heads and in our hearts for a very long time before it actually becomes real. And what can happen for a lot of us is that we get into this rhythm of, of, of building somebody up and they're this perfect person and they're going to fill this role and that role and they're going to love dogs and there's going to be no problems and we'll never fight and it'll be exciting and we won't just put around the house like my parents do. And then when, you know, you when you cross that divide and you really bring a real human being into your life in that meaningful way, um, it can be really great. But then there's also these other sort of gray areas where you're like, oh, this is this is a real person. This isn't the fantasy. This isn't the big drawing I drew in my head. And so that's really Micah's journey is 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 that is is crossing that that big queer, you know, heritage trip of going from living in your head to real reality that happens and um and how he deals with that it does not deal with that being put back into those shoes of the thought process of like having those 99 mental boyfriends i'm sure i don't i don't even want to try to count all of mine that if i were drawing them out (laughs) you're like heard of it right yeah (laughs) i may or may not have been there a handful of times maybe double that i'm i'm almost 30 it's probably double that at this point but there is absolutely something to be said of like lending that relatability um later in the book while Micah is talking to his best friend Hannah he kind of you know you hit the main point of he kind of chides her for having all of these opportunities available for her that being a straight person she can kind of walk out into the street and have a meet cute with anyone but for those of us in the queer space there's so much more nuance to that there's fear there's uh, there's just the unknown. So it is such a common experience to have made up so many of these relationships. Yeah, it's, I mean, th- the relationship between Micah and Hannah is something that I wanted to explore because it's not like he's mad at her or that she's at fault in some way. I think it, it, it is always that kind of classic thing when you have when you have a straight best friend um, and you've grown up together. And and he grew up with Hannah, like, you know, from, from children. So there was that moment, that sort of divide happened where it was very clear in middle school that like, you know, you know, she was gonna have a very, you know, usual, um, you know, dating history, whether or not it was like very healthy dates, you know, like, again, like it's all that sort of thing where, I've, I've kind of seen this kind of happen in interesting ways my whole life where I think, you know, a lot of queer people um, can have these very complicated, you know, they, you know, we tend to start later. 
So we have, we don't have those messy middle school relationships really to sort of cut our teeth on, we, we have them in our 20s and 30s where it's like, oh, we're having this middle school thing, but we're working at a bank, you know? Like, so um, right. you have, so that's why it tends to like look a little, it can, it can look from the outside and feel inside very dysfunctional. It can feel very like, oh, I'm having all these like, very random feelings and I don't know what to do with myself. And I, you know, we're having, you know, and, and there's a lot of anger and, you know, and hurt feelings mixed up in that because it was, denied us whether it's you know through homophobic means or from also just our dating pool tends to be smaller so you don't really have a slew of options and um you know and again and we're not really you know in, in our in our own identity journeys sometimes we, we aren't even aware I wasn't even aware myself you know I think consciously of my own until until college so a lot of me writing way tends to end up being therapeutic um it's all me living these multiverse lives um, where, where I'm like living out these different, you know, probably everything, any like, you know, critic of YA would accuse YA authors of doing. Um, I will, I will cop to, I'm like, yeah, this is me living multiverse lives. And, <laughs> and why don't you give me 20 bucks? Why don't you roll with it? Why don't you rent it for library? <laughs> right. And just add it to your cart and check out because you need to see what it's like. I would, I would love for a, a queer critic to read that and have that feedback because they, I think there's just different tiers of understanding. Um, and it's, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to share. I am excited to hear our allies in the audience, their response to this as they read through to just gain that different perspective to see, you know, what they can relate to or what they would have never thought of. I mean, there, there are so many instances that I'm like, oh, yikes, I feel seen. Uh, in a way that you just don't see uh, too often. Yes, and I'm and I'm so glad because that's one of those things. So, like my first book, you mentioned at the, at the top of the show, "Surrender Your Sons," um, is 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 a much more serious, much darker book about um, a, a you know a, a group of queer teens escaping a conversion therapy center, and um, and it's even though it's very victorious and very queer rage and queer power, um, you know, it dealt with a ton of homophobia. And so I knew going into Ninety Nine Boyfriends, we were going to deal with zero homophobia not even a little I was I'm creating this sort of like kind of fantasy elevated world where you know it that this just never really intersects with the story however what I found so interesting was I could write a world where there was no homophobia yet these barriers for queer relationships still existed because yeah. they're sort of built into a society where a predominant amount of people are 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 are, are not in our dating pool so you were still dealing with even though Mike had never you know, on page really ever experienced homophobia, you are still having him be like, oh my gosh, I don't know if this person shares that ID. Does this, you know, if they share that ID, are they interested? If they're interested, is this going to work? Like, are we compatible? Like, so there's all these different things that are, and then again, I'm just starting later. So I'm, ha I'm running, like, I'm, I'm about to graduate high school and I'm just now for the first time being like, what's a date like? You know, it's very, <laughs> you know, and that can be very infantilizing. And so Micah does go through that in the book where he's embarrassed and like kind of angry that he's like, I have all these childish feelings and he loves fairy tales and he's loved these fantasy things. And, you know, he has an older sister who, who kind of like, you know, kind of treats him like a little bit of a baby. And he has a lot of sensitivity around that because he feels so behind. And I think a lot of queer people can 
I, I think hopefully relate to that unless unless I'm alone and Marcus alone. Oh, no, yeah. no, absolutely. I relate to it. it. It is so easy to feel like you've fallen behind the rest of the pack when all of your friends are uh, go. I'm, I'm at the fun age right now where all the wedding invites are coming in. And <laughs> when you feel like you're just a little bit behind the curve and everyone's like, oh, we're married we're or we're having our X, Y, Z number of kids. Uh, you just feel like, oh, wow. Uh, where Where is the support group for that? I mean, I'm at the age where, um, you know, I, you know I'm, I'm married, but like there's like all my friends have, you know, we're talking like, you know, oh, schools and the, the, the school closures and the different issues with schools right now. And I'm just like, this is so deep out of my zone. Like, I don't, I like, there's a lot, there's just, you just, you're always going to feel that way. And I think a lot of like the origins of queer trauma can really be traced back to that, where it's like a lot of like, you know, and then you fall into that kind of toxic thinking, like, even if that's not something you want for your own life, that I have um, because you're just raised in that kind of soup where it's like, this is, you, you just, you can't help but just feel bad, excluded, all those wonderful feelings. And, and that's, and that's something that 99 Boyfriends was going to be in, in concert with. Like, even though there was no homophobia in it, you're still just like, here's some inside baseball on queer life. And you do not dance around because like you said, there is no homophobia in it, but the reminder of, yes, the world has shifted, but there are still several scenes where you have to consider um, that like, no matter how safe we feel, there's always a moment where we have to be mindful. I think of Elliot being asked to be asking Micah to walk him home at night because he's in dance tights and he's like, you know, things are okay, but you never want to be too unaware. You you know, there are still plenty of moments. I mean, even the conversation between Micah's parents when they discussed him taking prep, like there are moments where he's grateful that his mom is like, I'll educate your father afterward. But so many things that there are considerations that he's very lucky that his mom is a doctor and that he doesn't have to research, find out the hard way, do any of these things on his own. Um, but he still feels that kind of loss. And that I was, and I was so touched and, 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 and blown away and, and feeling very lucky and grateful. All the, all the, all the, all the good feelings. Um, that my editor and Viking were so wholeheartedly behind. There, there was never even like a hesitancy or, or, or a nickiness once about having that conversation about just, we're just going to mention, we're going to mention prep. We're going to mention sexual health, um, you know, and it comes after, and it comes after, you know, a romantic scene where there is, you know, you know, it's, um, you know, it's an on the page sex scene, which again, was another thing that I was, you know, which I do include in Surrender Your Sons. And it's, it's in a much different way in this one, you know, and it's very, and it's very beautiful and it's very, and it's very first time. And, you know, it's something that I, that I thought was extremely wonderful and they were so behind it. And then I wanted to follow that with, with this sort of, and I can have fun with it too. It wasn't like, okay, now we're going to have this like after school moment. Like, it's very like, I, it's, it's a funny little goofy parent scene where and I wanted to kind of normalize that because I wanted to normalize not just having that sexual health prep conversation but also like it's a classic kid is in, is mortified that his mom is talking about <laughs> yeah. sex to him right. and his dad is like what what's what does prep mean what is what is what does it do what does it do and then the mom is just like well, this guy I'm not gonna we'll tell you later um like and having this sort of sitcom moment was important because it was like okay well we're gonna immediately take the 
the, the tension out of the conversation, all of the bad, you know, all the baggage that comes with the prep conversation that even within the queer community or the big ally community can be fraught with a bunch of junk. Like I was just so grateful that I could do that and do that in that way and have people at Viking just, you know, like kind of go out of the way to be like, oh, thank you for including this. And like, and just really dealing with it as a regular positive scene and not like, um, oh, I don't know if we can discuss that or we might need to remember. I mean, they was very, it was, it was so cool to have. It, it wasn't like a, you know, for any moments that you had kind of a fade to black, that's not where it was. It wasn't like, oh, we need to talk about sexual health and well-being. And then one awkward conversation later, it was, I mean, I was shocked oh, right. in, in the best way possible because uh, why, why shouldn't we be smart and why shouldn't this be included? Because it touches so many communities. That's it. Because again, like I think in general, like, you know, sexual education in America for, for anyone is mm-hmm. abysmal, is yeah. abysmal, you know, abysmal at best. And then it's just like, you know, criminal. I, I just think it's very right. irresponsible because we're leaving so many kids because what happens is if you, if you don't teach them in a very honest, authentic way at an early enough time, they will find the information themselves usually way too late. Mm-hmm. usually after there's already been a, an issue that they might or a scare um or or they don't find out at all or they find out through you know online which can sometimes be an unsafe place um so again they will find the information us not giving them that information um is not going to have the effect you want so i, I really wanted for for young queer readers or, you know, even ally readers, you know, reading this, anybody who reads this book, you know, who's who especially at that young age, um, this is by no means a sexual education book, but just to have that of course. moment of, <laughs> just to have that moment, just to have like a brief moment where yes. it's like, here's how this happens in a very healthy, this is something you should, this is a way that you should model as a parent, right. like very simply, because right, right. I, I would by no means want to take away that, that this is like a, a message through the book, but no, as, no. as a person who knows, um, looking at it and going, oh, wow, I have to bring yeah. this up because it is, it's so important and it marks a great change in the reading space. It was, it was, it was very nice to kind of put it in there and then toss it away. Um, yeah, that, that was like, that was the fun part was just being like, okay, we're going to show this in the very, just very, just, just take the, take the mystery out of it. It's just, here's the thing that's going to happen. That is going to be part of your life. Um, you know, not necessarily everybody's life, you know, like, you know, like if you're interested in a sexual relationship, if you're interested in a, any kind of relationship, um, you know, then this is going to be something, you know, that this is kind of how that's going to happen. I guess to pivot, uh, I received, Viking was so generous. Not only did I get an ARC, they also sent me the beautiful final hardcover edition. And uh-huh. I, uh, this book, um, listeners, I sat down and I didn't get up until I was done. It is so sweet. It's so heartwarming. It is truly a rom-com. And that is something that absolutely resonates with me as like a, a viewer, but not typically as a reader. Y'all know that I'm not usually the one of the three of us who's sitting down to read the romance titles. And this had everything I needed. <laughs> <laughs> it, it hit all of the marks. Um, I, have, I have so many questions around just the design of the book itself. Um, but also, uh, uh, thank you for this book. I, I think just like mm-hmm. the things we've already talked about so far, just just 
seeing important messages coming through in such a sensitive way um, that doesn't, you know, make a big deal of any of, of any of it. It just is, I, I appreciate it as, as an aging queer person. <laughs> well, um, I, I love hearing that. That's, I mean, that's, that's everything as an author you, you love to hear, especially if this is not your usual um, comfort genre. Um, if this is not your go-to first pick, I mean that's I mean that's always the 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 hope is that you can really satisfy the romance readers, the diehard you know people who are who are really there for you, and then also the you know the folks who who maybe are on the peripheries who who will like you know some of them sometimes, um, and that was something where I knew even going into this, it's not usually um, the genre I write in. I do read a lot of it. But um, I, uh, you know, my first book was a thriller. So that was kind of my, that was my big challenge. I kind of did see this, you know, um, uh, you know, as, as, a, as probably as a fellow drag race fan, you'll understand. I usually like frame things in this way where I go like, okay, well, like, so this is like, you know, I'm a comedy queen and then this is a design challenge where it's like, this is not my numerous yes. challenge. Okay, how do I succeed in this moment? Um, but it's not, you. it's not the one where I'm like, oh, I got this. Oh, I'm a dancer. I can, I can pull it off. You know, this is like my moment. Like there is a thing where I, I, I wasn't like sewing after I went out one of those like ones where like the, the sewing machine breaks and I don't know how to do anything. <laughs> but like this was a thing where I was like, okay, you know, this is something where I'm going to have to like really dig in, really strive. And so that's where as a suspense writer, I really wanted to, um, I want because some of my favorite rom-coms, you know, even though we all go into a rom-com with a certain set of expectations. And one of those especially is Happily Ever After. And I that you know, that is something that I really wanted for Micah. You know, I wasn't here to be like, you know, what I'm gonna really do is just <laughs> give him a miserable <laughs> ending. Um, you know, I was like, I knew this was gonna go to a happy place, you know, and I wanted to write then. I was writing this when during the first year of the pandemic. So I really needed a happy place to go to mentally was a fabulous escape for me personally. So hopefully that does translate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> because I had no idea that two years later, we would still be in a place where people would really need to escape. Um, but um, but but the escape is now there and it will be available. Um, so like that's for, for me writing this as a suspense writer, I was like, okay, well, how do I bring in genuine suspense um, into, you know, into a, in, into a story where we kind of, hopefully all trust that this is going to a happy place. Um, so that was kind of, that was, the, that was, I saw that as my challenge. And so I think, um, I think, I think that might end up winning over some, you know, some, some romance holdouts um, that there is, you know, you know, that there's really, you know, and I love, I love romance titles. I think even when it's like really like when the, when the, you know, when the stakes are just, you know, are, are very, are, are not life and death. Um, I think they can, really important and really beautiful so I love so much of that so I'm not trying to say I'm, I'm not that I'm not that girl <laughs> um but like that is something where I was like as a writer that's kind of as like I was like well, like well suspense is sort of my area and I'll just bring that into whatever genre I'm doing and and that absolutely shows because I am a thriller reader that's kind of my go-to comfort pick and the pacing of this book reads like a thriller every scene is is cinematic almost that it's just it's all leading to what's the twist what's the conclusion and to see that included in a romance it's just like okay here I am because when you're dating especially like as a queer person especially as a young queer person it feels like that's the most stressed out you've ever been in your entire existence um you know hopefully it is you know that's it so like I remember and I and I really 
you know, during, you know, and I, and I, I sometimes liken writing to um, meditation because that is something, you know, for me when I'm writing, I, I do kind of have to really um, kind of put myself in a trance and like kind of go somewhere else. Um, and so to do that, I really dropped into a lot of like, okay, well, when I was closer to that age and, 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 and asking somebody out was really, really, really important to me and my whole identity of that moment of that week was very wrapped up in it. Um, how did that feel like? What did that look like? And from like the and and almost right away, that's why the very first chapter, very first scene of the book, um, is Micah has like just finished throwing up, like literally physically throwing up. He's so nervous because he's going to like he's like he's he's figured it out. He's got this guy in class who's a senior and he's a junior, and um and he's like he's you know whipped himself up over it and he's like I'm gonna ask him. We're gonna it's happening. This is the one. And, um, and, and he's just so worked, he's worked himself up at this, such a tizzy he vomits. Um, we don't, we don't see on page vomit, but we, it is very clear that, um, you know, Armica has, has really started this thing out tense. So, and he brings that energy throughout the rest of the book. Um, so that is something that like, that is pulled from real life where I got so worked up. I was, I was in that state. <laughs> I was, I was morning sicknessing myself over this guy who I don't even remember his name anymore. But um, isn't that the way? <laughs> but I remember the themes. Mm, um, so those that's, stick around. That's where. So I think that's kind of where I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a warts and all sort of thing, where it's not so much like, oh, I have butterflies in my stomach. It's like, no, this sucks, and I'm throwing up, and I just, when is this over? And that's you kind of just bring that panic gay feeling into it, and I and um, that's where I ended up having the most fun. Which which makes so much sense, I, because your characters are are really there's kind of a lot of things that beautifully drive this story, but the development of your characters is certainly one of them. So just a quick rundown of characters we've already talked about him, but Micah, we've got him. He's our main boy here. His best friend Hannah lives in the same building, and they are childhood friends. She is the uh, child of an incredibly diff- incredibly driven restaurateurs. Mm-hmm. Then there's Elliot. He is brought into the duo by Hannah. They became friends. And now he is uh, the budding friend of Micah. He's also a barista and, a, and an aspiring veterinarian. Um, and then there is Boy 100. That is mm-hmm. Grant. So he's an up-and-coming high school fashion designer in for the summer at the Art Institute program. Um, and then, of course, can't leave them out. We've got Micah's parents. His dad is a former Olympian and now a radio and podcast host. His mom is a doctor. And then there's Maggie and Maggie, his sister and Maggie's girlfriend, Amanda. Um, and then, of course, I guess if we're, if we're going this far, I'll also throw mm-hmm. in Brandon Elliott's uh, boyfriend. Yeah. So you've got that- uh, this huge cast of characters who... All of those names, as as I was going through and just like typing out my notes, I was like, I can't neglect any of them because these people all play a part. And there are still people that come to mind that I'm like, characters are what really helps drive this story. So how do you go about creating your characters? Do you find that you give all of them a part of yourself? Is there any one you relate to? Um character is my number one favorite thing to write I will again I don't I don't care if they're like if they're because again that's something where no no part is too small I think that's definitely my theater background coming out where I'm like oh I'm just gonna really make a meal out of this you know guy running the ticket booth yeah um so that's kind of something where you know I I and I and you know and that's end up that's what ends up needing the most modulation during revision is like 
well, they can't all be vice president of the company. Um, so we do need to like, we do need to have like, exactly right. Um, so uh, yeah, that, that's, I think that's the fun thing is, um, and I, and with Micah, you know, my, some of my favorite rom-coms, you know, obviously everybody loves John Hughes movies. Like I, I especially thought a lot about Ferris Bueller when writing this um, because it is sort of this travelogue of Chicago. It's sort of like the you know, post, it's like, it's like come visit Chicago is what that movie is. And I kind of wanted that to be this book. I'm, I'm from the Chicago suburbs where I grew up. Um, you know, is Chicago, you know, living a few hours outside of that Chicago was a place where um, my parents would take me and I would feel so fancy and I would feel so like I would feel like an adult. I would feel like, you know, culture. I lived in a farm town. So that's something where like, I mean, just being in this area, like, and I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a, I'm such a fancy boy that I was just like, I was like, take me to these, I was like, this is so nice. Like the lights and the people and the different, like, so it was just this magical place full of magical people. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do with Mike is I was like, I'm going to do for Chicago, what like Amelie did for Paris where it's like, that's not really, if you go to Paris, it's not going to look like that. It's not going to feel like that. But this is just sort of this big idealized version where everything's just right. And, and that's how I get, like, I wanted to capture like how it felt when I was that kid and every single corner thing person felt like part of this big, wonderful world. Um, and so going back to character, that's why I filled the story with people who were, you know, and that's such an important part of John Hughes movies is that there's no shortage of like indelible one scene characters, you know, the teacher, the nurse, the secretary, like there's all, every single person who comes in is like a, just a huge meal for a character actor. And I kind of wanted that where Micah runs into a, a woman running a hot dog cart and uh, Micah runs into a, a, you know, a librarian who's a little bit of an oddball. And then Micah runs into like a big fan who's like a big sports fan of his dad on the train. And then he's a kook. So like, there's all these, like, so anytime like you ran into anybody, they were going to be one of those like two line characters who's just like an immediate, like, oh my God, I know that person. Um, and that kind of extended into the, the more of the supporting cast where you have you know, where you have Elliot, who's this like very, very, you know, pure kid. But like the thing that was very fun about that is that he's sort of, when you have, when you're, when you're, when you're gay and you have like a straight best friend and then that straight best friend has another gay best friend and it's like, no, like unacceptable. So like Elliot for a lot of the first half of the book is like, oh, he's Hannah's other gay best friend. Oh, so he's, but he's like newer, he's new to town. He's all shiny and he's, and Micah is like, okay, well, this kid's coming in. And then I was here from the beginning doing this and holding hands and, 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 and he's finding these like little ways to be like, you don't even know her favorite movie. And he, okay. Okay. He knows the little things. And then over time that softens, you know, and he, you know, he does start to see like, he's like, okay, well, you know, and then they have their own friendship. Um, you know, that, you know, that kind of progresses. And so that's kind of was the fun thing that, you know, leading with these characters, even Hannah's parents, the restaurateurs, where you have just like, just real fuddy duddies. You know, you can see, you you know, you know Hannah, you see how like very Instagram polished she is, how she has things very scheduled, things have to happen in a certain way. She has a very, very clear idea for her life. It's gonna be like, I get married by this age, I have kids by this age. And it really runs antithetical to 
a lot of like, um, I think, you know, you know, how, how people, oh, anyway, how anybody's lives really run, but right. um, <laughs> especially Mike is just like, you know, he's really anxious and tied up in how things occur. And even he's like, oh, this is not going to unfold the way you think it's going to. Uh, but then you meet her parents and you see, oh, this is, she's lived in a, like a Petri dish of this amount of like, you know, over scheduling over, and yeah, over production scheduling and, yeah. and, like, and being like super, per- and it's not even like that they're bad people or bad parents like they're just like no everything we do is like brilliant and we're geniuses and we're gonna like and we're gonna put it out there and you know and it's just like it's, it's a lot of it's just stress to put on yourself so how I bring those characters in is it's usually it no one's ever like me I'm never like oh that one's me or that one's that one. I kind of, it's, everything's just kind of like a, a, like, you know, I shake it up like a snow globe and of just my own moments. And there are moments of my relationship to my husband that I put into Micah's relationship with Boy 100. And then there are parts of my relationship with my husband that go into Micah's, you know, friendship, you know, and maybe more with, with Elliot. Um, so there, there are all those sorts of moments. So that's one thing where I was like, I was like, okay, well, you know, my husband does pick up this book. I don't want him to like read one thing that doesn't pan out. And he's like, oh, so I'm the one that didn't go. Um, (laughs) but, um, but I'm like, no, you're in all of them. Like, that's the kind of thing. So I do bring in like, you know, I do bring in those, you know, those flavors. I think that's kind of for a writer, you, you just collect experiences and jobs and relationships and the way people handle things. And that, and that always is very much, um, that is very much like always something that is, uh, it's just going to be part of your brain. Maybe some people write, you know, write that way where they're like, this person is that person. But I feel like I have too many suspicious, nosy people in my life who are like, <laughs> if you confirm that I'm this person, I'm gonna, that's going to be part of my conversation forever about that. You know, and I just was like, I just never wanted to be in that position where, you know, I couldn't, if I put too much of one person in my real life into a character, yeah. I could I would have to like make sure that that relationship was super protected because then I'd have to answer for it in real life. Um, I don't know. I, again, like, I don't know how David Sedaris does it where he's just like saying like, my sister said this and I'm like, Oh my God, I just, I can't, I, I can't imagine. Maybe they just all know the score, but like, I don't know how he gets away with it. I, you know, his books will stress me out sometimes because I think of exactly <laughs> that. I'm like, okay, but your sister is also a very public figure as well, or... Right, <laughs> you know, and, and I think, like, they almost have some element of, you know, eccentricity to that, but, like, I feel like everyone in my family, because, again, putting out Surrender Your Sons was murder, because, like, the families in that are dreadful, and so, like, I'm, like, both my mother and my mother-in-law were like, this isn't me, the mother, right? And I was like, no, there's just like they're like I remember saying that once and I was like but the good part like the like the good memory she had so you just had to keep like I had to like literally put like a PSA in the back of the book being like this was none of the this is not the moms no no moms none of, none of my moms are in this book <laughs> <laughs> well and and you even show what that's like throughout the course of uh of his relationship with boy 100 that there are those moments where I'm like where he goes, am I, am I in the painting? Where am I? What is this? And, yes. and the way that art infiltrates life. Uh, I just, you were the perfect person to ask, not only with so many characters who are all, like, like you said, truly just, they are ready for their walk on, but to also have 
I, I couldn't imagine. I couldn't imagine putting people I knew just directly in the page. I, I love the idea. I love the analogy of a snow globe. Just shake it up and be like, oh, I'll take this little bit and I'll take this one thing that I bring up in therapy every other week and that'll be the bad <laughs> bit. <laughs> well, because I feel like, you know, I'm very big on on dreams and dreaming and not on the daydream, I, I guess in the daydream sense, but also in like the physical, you're asleep, you're dreaming, you know, and they do say that like, you're everybody in your dream, even if you run into your, like you're having these conversations with yourself while you're asleep. And so that's how I feel like when you're creating something, it's like, I, you know, I really do believe, you know, from at least for me, um, when I've created these characters, um, they're 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 real they're like they're they're as real memories to me as my actual memory so like I'll, I'll have you know when I just finished you know my my the book that comes after this one which is another thriller but it's it's like they're all of these like those people are just so real and and so like I because again I put myself in this trance and I, I lived there I, I I visited there it was real to me um and hopefully I try to make these books that are so immersive whether it's surrender your sons, where you are suddenly in a in a in a Costa Rican jungle, um, you know, surrounded by surrounded by these you know these 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 fascist enemies, um, or you know, or you're in this you know beautiful you know twilight uh, cafe in the city and you're having a chai with with Mike. Like there's these sort of things where I think you we all go to these books to sort of you know, to escape, but like literally like it's a VR experience to just sort of, you, you, you feel it, you were there, it's real. It's like you're, it's like you're implanting memories in yourself. Um, and so that, that's kind of why I'm like, I, I, I feel like, like a dream, everybody, you're everybody. I'm everybody in the book. Like it's, there's, they're all parts of me, the, you know, the, you know, the villains are, you get to explore that part of yourself that's, that's that's toxic you get to like work that out I mean because I think we all have these shades within us and you know in our real lives in our waking lives we make decisions you know not to do that hopefully um but then you know you have these you have these impulses where you know especially um lately when everything feels so very intense and and people get desperate and, and you see different sides come out of people. And I, I think that's very, that's why I kind of lead with characters. I think it's very interesting to explore what would I do in this situation? How, am I capable of that? Um, would I, if I was like, a, would, I let, would, would I let Boy 100 go? Would I just go, oh, that's terrible that that happened. I, I can't believe I miss him. Or would I go, no, I'm going to find him. Um, and, you know, and at least get his name and at least play that out and see how, see if that is, see if that goes somewhere good. Um, Cause again, a lot of the things in life are like the stuff you weren't, you know, really planning on. And, you know, and it's the, and it, it, it is those moments where you push yourself outside of that, you know, comfort zone. So, you know, that is something where, you know, I, you know, I've, I've, I've extemporated probably far too long, but I, but, but the, I think, you know, where it is like, it's a snow globe. It's, it, it's all parts of you. There really, you know, I don't know if I'm like, oh, that person's that person, because it's all how I feel about that type of person. Mm -hmm. um, and it is all like trying to bring understanding to people I don't usually skin. I don't usually live in. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, Micah has things in his life that are not I'm, I'm much more confident than Micah. Right. Um, 
And, uh, but then there's characters in my other books that I'm like, that character is way more confident than me. But then I explore that part of me where, where I'm like, oh, well, if I just walked around popping off, telling everybody how I thought of everything and really didn't, and just wrote it out, um, mm -hmm. how would that look, you know? And, right. you know, and, or, or if I was like in a, if, if I was in a very like sporty, classically handsome sort of body, like, you know, how would I just walk around? Would I just be able, would, would doors just open? You right. know, that's the kind of thing where you're like, you get to kind of live these different lives. And I think that's what's just so cool about writing. I think that's cool about reading because you get to live that. And I think as a writer, it's just so cool that you get to create these little VR experiences where yeah. you get to live, live, safely in these different lives momentarily which is an amazing way to think of it and also makes sense why you're not translating a person in because you are like you said they live as a memory within you now and they are their own individual pieces even though they're parts of different holes yes Hello everyone, my name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, now, you also do so much for the city of Chicago here. <laughs> just, just like you, like you said, John Hughes movies, sure, they do some good tourism work for Chicago, but you also created a beautiful version of Chicago. Um, there were a lot of things that popped up to me with setting. There's a lot of almost cinematic realness to it that you're going, uh, you have these safe spaces you're returning to like the penthouse, uh, like Audrey's, the cafe, but then you also find yourself back at the scene of the crime almost. So there's that repeat moment of him returning to the park from the very first scene of the book. He finds himself there a lot. And it, what motivates you when you're creating settings or even how you're taking characters back to spaces, whether they're kind of these safer or these more uncomfortable moments? Um, that's a, such a good question because I think setting is, 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 is second only to character in its importance because again, you're just, that's, it's, 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 it's the immersion, it's the, you're here. And I think our relationships to places is very fascinating. 
because we can have at different times in our life, different emotions to places there, you know, and I've lived in LA in the same kind of neighborhood and off and on for about 20 years. And there are places where, you know, I've driven, but for years I drove by it, not thinking of anything. And then a very, very, very important part of my life occurs in a place that I drove by a million times. Um, and, you know, and, and then there's a, there's a, there's a Starbucks cafe out here in, in, in LA that just sadly closed after 27 years. And it was, um, I started every book or screenplay I'd ever written in that cafe and it, and it just closed. And I had such an emotional response to that closure. I'm, I'm here, I'm weeping over a, over a Starbucks company, right? <laughs> and I'm like, there'll be never another Starbucks again. Like, and I'm trying to explain this to my parents. And I'm like, no, the, the memories of the thing. So like, and it's just something that's so personal. It's very hard to explain. And I think through writing is how you can only ever explain that to someone. Um, Cause it's really just, you feel it or you don't feel it. And I think that's something where with place, you know, you have these places that in one, cause you know, I take you on an emotional roller coaster in this where locations at one part of the book are very, very positive. And then towards the end, when when things are are looking hopeless and things are lost and he, and he enters that space again, he's crushed by memory. He is, he is absolutely like there. He's like, I was standing here only a month ago. And, and, and my relationships with the people that were here with me at that point were so much better then. And, and he's crushed that he's like, you know, something bad happened to those relationships now. And I don't have that connect, that same connection. Um, you know, even in, um, there's a moment, um, one of my favorite moments in the book, it occurs closer to the end. This isn't really a spoiler, um, but throughout the book, so he's got his older sister, Maggie, who who's in a relationship with this girl, Amanda, and, and they're older and, you know, and they're a little bit more like homebodies. And throughout the thing, Micah, who's, who's never had a, a date ever, um, is running his mouth about his sister, like, oh, you're boring, you're oh, Netflix again, you know, okay, you're gonna say, oh, hot date, you know, like he's just, they're, they're, they're doing that brother and sister ragging each other saying, because and she'll give it back just as hard. Um, it's very Ferris and Jeannie Bueller, like, it's, I, I really wanted a Jeannie Bueller in that, where you have this just sort of like, really cool, sour girl in the book, who's not really involved in the drama, she's just sort of popping in to be like, this, you knocked it <laughs> off. Um, so I love Maggie. So again, there's a there's a part where he has just been mouthedly. He's like, oh, when I'm in a relationship, we're going to do this and we're going to rock climbing. We're having an exciting life and you're going to just blah. And then towards the end, when he's having this sort of dark night of the soul, when things are looking very bleak for, for a relationship that he's in, um, he is in this depressed state and he and he and he spies his sister and and Amanda. Um, just watching something on Hulu. And in that moment, he's just like, that's that brings him to his lowest, even lower, because he is just like, I would give my lung to have this with my guy right now. Like he was like, I would give my soul anything to just get to that place with this thing that I just was like, throwing in the garbage. And I think that's very, I think that's another thing when I talk about returning to places that there's, there's things in our lives where we have a certain idea of a thing. We have a certain idea of a place. You have like these safe places, like the Audrey's cafe, you have, you know, the school, but then there are certain places where at certain, at, at a point, Audrey's becomes a very dark place for Micah because something, because something negative then happens there. And because it's, or it's a, because he's, 
lost something that used to be there. Um, and I think, and I think that's just such a, I, I don't know, I, I, maybe this is just being right or nerdy of me. I, I find it very cool to do, to revisit how a single place, a place that is just paint and, and capitalism and like, it just has nothing to do with a human being. It's just, people just can just imprint so heavily on a place um, that, you know, it, it, and it's very real. And I, and I, in exploring the different things about that, that's, that's something where, you know, like where Chicago is just such a, a, you know, an important part of the story, but the place had to be, the place and the people in it had to be just very, very vital. The sort of kingdom that Micah inhabits. Absolutely. And oh, places absolutely store memory. There's something to be said about the idea of passing the same like section of road 800 times, never thinking twice, but you have that one day that something happens and all of a sudden you're taking a different route or you're walking yeah. along and you smell a certain smell and you go, oh, that's someone's cologne that, you know, I now don't speak to. Uh, like the way that you can be jarred out of anything by the by what seems like the smallest thing or something that's not even alive or real is yeah. so just prevalent and it really helps you feel emotionally connected to the situation 100 percent. that was something where you know i mentioned i have a, so I have a background in theater mm -hmm. and so which like you know I, I think we always we always joke about like oh you know i'm really using that 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 the bachelor's degree right now mm -hmm. and while i'm not uh, no longer acting i feel like i think especially as a writer i was just telling um uh the mentee i'm working with i was just telling them about you know these jobs you have i think writer is such a cool job because it collects all the other jobs, all the other life experiences you've ever had. And it makes them important because you can just add those little bits. Project management, it's very important to, to manage your career through that. Like all these skills play. And even if you're not using them in your career, it comes in, it plays an important role in the, in the thing. Um, you, you know, it could become part of the story. And so something with theater, you know, that's always stuck with me is, 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 is understanding character, is that stuff. But something my theater professor said when you know you know is he sort of like um this sounds very jenna maroney 30 rock of me but um it was like you know some dramatic trick to learn how to cry on on camera or stage um was um you know if you're if you're if you're if you're crying about something you know don't or like you know like um you know like a like a pet or something that or 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 something that's gone something that isn't here anymore even if it's just a relationship that's no longer in your life um you don't cry over it imagining it's gone you you cry remembering when it was there um you like uh, remember it when it was alive yeah. uh remember when 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 they were here the good the good times are what crushes you right. um because they are not here um you know and that's something that was that, that that informed a lot of micah because so much of it is he's this you know, Prince, I, I really do take it from the Cinderella point of view where, you know, his dad is the king of Chicago. He's a sports radio guy. And you know, so they call him the Prince a lot. And, you know, that motif is there. They're very wealthy. They live in this penthouse, you know. And so that was one of those things where you have a very privileged kid who's very genuine, very sweet, very authentic, um, but has never wanted for certain things. And his friend Elliot, um, you know, lives in a very Bob's Burgers type you know, his dad runs a pizza place and they live above the pizza place. It's a very like, and it's a very, it's a very like, you know, fairy tale sort of version of, of that, you know, and I, and, and, uh, but he, he runs into this thing with Elliot where, you know, it's, 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 it takes place during the summer. It's extremely hot. Elliot's like 
I'm about to go home to like the hottest apartment. Every so hot, but like I cry at night. Like it's just when you're not even like sad, you're just like, I'm crying just because I'm just so miserable. It's hot. Um, yeah. And so Micah like literally is like, I've never felt like heat overheated before in my life. Cause I'm, I'm sitting in this temperature controlled, you know, you know, little gilded cage up here in the penthouse. <laughs> um, and so they have this kind of very, like, very genuine little kind of sweet moment where, where you know, Elliot is just kind of like, you know, you know, you've never had to go to Target and, like, claw a fan out of somebody's hands because there's just one more fan left because it's summer and it's all gone. Um, and so he has these moments where, um, you know, you do, you know, step out of it um, and, and he, and he has these sort of like moments where he steps out of his, his, his privileged world, um, a little bit and, um, and enters the real world. And that, and then that's, that's a big part of the story too, is it's going from this fantasy place into a more real place. And, you know, and, 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 and in telling the Cinderella story, which really is a story about like, how does, you know, and how do you make a Cinderella story cool for now? when we're dealing with real, real issues of income inequality and, you know, and then the gaps between the haves and haves nots and, um, and how do you make, you know, these, how do you make any sort of connection between someone who is that wealthy and someone who is that um, destitute, you know, how does that, you know, work? Is that ethical? What does that look like? And, and we decided to be like, okay, well, we're doing Cinderella. So we might as well, we're, gonna, we're not going to look away from that. We're going to accelerate into that. Um, so that's um, that. Was yeah. It. And, and it brings up, like, it asks very important questions when he does, you know, do anything that's trying to offer or provide for Elliot. Elliot at some point has to go like, that makes me uncomfortable. And, and just things that I think a lot of us don't think of in our own lives without that, you know, kind of vast disparity between the haves and have nots just in our own circles. There are still ways that we can make people in our lives, even if we're not, you know, the prince in the tower, make people feel less than. And it's an important right. moment to self-reflect. I, I I think so. I would agree. Cause it's it's really, you know, that that was that was probably the hardest part of writing this was like, how do you thread yeah. that needle? You know, make people love Micah as much as I love him. Um and, you know, and I worked with my editor a lot on that, where, where it was like, okay, well, at what point, we had, we had a lot of, like, really wonderful ethical conversations about, like, you know, at what point could he pay for a friend's thing? And at what point does he take a date, like, on a yacht, on a family yacht? Right. Um, is, that's romantic, <laughs> but is that tacky? Is that what, does he do it or not? The, the yacht exists. So, like, what, does he go on there? And, and, what, and to what degree is he engaging with that? And, um. And, you know, and I, I, and that was, I, we decided that that was going to be a strength of the book rather than like, oh, we need to really dance around this. And we really need to make sure that nobody, right. So we were just like, no, no, no we're just going to have like, this is the reality. And like, how was that? How would that look if he was not this monstrously, you know, privileged person, you know, like, and I'm not trying to be like, you know, he's the one good rich person. Um, again, <laughs> I don't really know, you know, I don't, I don't know anybody who's, who's, who's as rich as Micah. So this was something right. where we were like, okay, well, we're just going to tell, we're going to tell, we're not going to tell that story, but we're, we are going to be like, okay, well, here's how, here's how you can ethically and responsibly be rich in this society. <laughs> and, and I think it, it leads some helpful pointers for sure, you know, as, you know, not yeah. vastly rich as I am, but right. some things to be mindful of. And and it is it is really thoughtful because I think one of the first questions I wrote down was just along the lines of like, oh, 
why did you decide to take money out of the equation for Micah? But he's the prince. That's that's the why. Like it makes sense for him to not have to think about sending fifty dollars to the Audrey's tip jar or anything mm-hmm. like that. That it's very much just like a yeah. If I need an Uber in downtown Chicago, I can just get one and not think twice about it where me an adult is probably going to think twice about that uber absolutely you know during like high times and that was something Mm -hmm. where it's like even like the difference between micah's dad again who's like who's like paying bills and then you have like a teen who's like you know teens you know who do grow up in that situation just are are not thinking about money that's why like i think that was i think our solution with micah was that just like he's just realizing he's never like the heat he's never thought about the heat he's never thought about He's never thought about the money. He's never thought about, oh, how does this all work? I, I just, I push the button and then it, and then it happens. My, my constant, his worries are like way more upper part of the pyramid of, of needs. Um, you know, so that's something where, you know, and in his, you know, conversations with, you know, with, with, with folks, I think, and I think that can, that can be the lesson to take away, even if you're not as super rich. I mean, you're always going to be in a different position from someone else at some point. And how do you have that conversation? And then how do you, you know, responsibly engage with that person um, and not do like additional, you know, harm? And, and you know, how do how do you how do you stay how do you keep it cool? Um, and um, yeah, that that was that was that was a surprising thing when we when I when I started out wanting to do this kind of a story, um, where I was like, oh, I didn't realize that I was going to make a, a a book about money. Um, so I was like, oh, we're gonna do like rom com, and I was like, oh, we're gonna do this thing where like, you know, he's a prince and he's looking for the, you know, the Cinderella who got away, but um, but no, it ended up being about money because Cinderella is about money. Um, At the end of the day, that's how you get out of the money. ashes. <laughs> <laughs> My last big question for you before I just transition into some nosy podcaster questions. Uh, you strive to capture the three H's of the queer experience: humor, heart, and horror. How did you kind of figure out this, th- these three tenants? Where, do, where did you discover this uh, for queer storytelling? Well, for myself, um, I decided that this was going to be part of my, that this is, I was, when I was really breaking down, like, what does my voice mean? What are the kind of stories I really tell? What, what motivates me? And it's always like, and it's usually humor, no matter what kind of story I'm, if I'm telling a romance, like I knew that with the rom-com, I wanted to really hit the calm in this. Because um, sometimes I'll read a romance that, and they'll call it a rom-com and I'm like, this was more like rom-drom or, you know, like this, you know, I didn't hate it, but like, I was like, this is, I'm so comedy led and I'm just so like, that's just where you could just, you could get me on board with almost any book if there's, if I'm laughing in, in the middle of it, um, horror or anything. So like humor, I always kind of want to lead with that because it's just, what I'm I, I'm good at it and it's and it's and the, I think it's the best way to bring folks in and get them to buy in on your story your character your people and it gets you caring about them before you jumble them all up um so I think that's something that was very that's that's very important to me and that heart it, you know is because you know I do think it's I think it's very important to care about the characters I don't really believe that like if a writer creates a character who does like a not good thing they're like explicitly approving of that on the page that's I think that's an ongoing conversation especially in way especially right now is how do you responsibly show misbehavior um in a character that you don't send to prison or jail at the end of the movie you know like like 
without doing like on the page lecturing about it? How do you respond to cliche? And I think in general, like anybody, like if you're doing Breaking Bad, if you're doing a thing where there's an anti-hero or there's a character who's, you know, you know, there's going to be some fun stuff with that character, but they, at the end of the day, they're doing toxic things. Um, how do you responsibly do that? Um, so that's, I think through heart, that's always making sure that like, even if you're not redeeming a character, that there be like, there's like a reason someone's doing that. Even if the reason are, even if the, the reason is um, they're a manipulative person, um, you know, or, or like they're, you know, they're lying, um, that sort of thing. So again, I think that's something that I've discovered, especially in the last few years following the news. Um, and that really informed Surrender Your Sons, my previous book, where the ending of that book, when I first drafted it before the Trump era, um, it was a very different ending. It was more redeeming of um, the families who sent the kids there. And then the Trump era began and I did sell the book. And I was like, after what I've seen, there's just no way that these families who would do this in the first place were very few of them would. I was like, there's no, when you, once you're in that much of a fervor, we, we were seeing in the news every day how when confronted with their misdeeds, um, the last thing they're gonna do is admit to them. They're not gonna admit they did anything wrong. Some of them are not gonna even admit that the misdeed even occurred. So that really opened my eyes to, I think what a lot of people who are not in my privileged position already knew. Um, and so that was very, very helpful for that book. Um, but that's also sort of informed me going forward where I'm like, where I'm writing a villain or if I'm writing someone, um, you know, who's kind of behaving in a way that I would, that I, that is just not, you know, not how we would want someone to kind of handle that situation, um, that there be a really good reason behind it. And in, and in 99 Boyfriends, it was very important to me that there be no villain. Um, that really, because there is there, I, I, there, there's 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 a love triangle. There's there's a love quadrangle. Probably there's multiple whatever. <laughs> there's a lot of love. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> or ninety nine sides of a, of a shape is. Um, but there's like there's, but it was like, how do you? Because again, I I I really believe, and I I was talking with my editor where I said, okay, um, what's what's more likely going to occur in a young queer person's life going forward? is that they're going to be in a position where they are dating somebody, they fall out of love with that person, they fall in love with somebody else. And that first person did nothing wrong. So how do you handle that? How do you handle that when there's no one who's a villain? And I feel like we get into a position societally, and I've seen this in my own life with, with my friends who will, because they can't justify breaking up with someone unless they've done something wrong, they will almost concoct something that was wrong and they will fib and make something big and make that person a villain somehow because that's the way they could sort of live with like breaking that person's heart um, because then what does that say about you if you break the heart of someone who did nothing wrong and did nothing bad to you um that's something where i wanted to have that conversation um where it's just, that's going to be more likely the thing that occurs in a young, and I wanted to be like, I wanted at least one book out there that was like, hey, here's how you, here's how you handle that responsibly. Um, here's how you do that in a way 
here, you know, you, here's where Micah messes up in that situation. Here's where Micah does right in that situation. And I'm pretty clear about what creates chaos for Micah, oh, yeah. what solves things. And it's usually the responsible thing that ends up solving the problem. And he does like, you know, he does like a wrong thing. And then it, you know, just creates more pain, more chaos and more frustration, but no one's ever the villain. Um, So that was the, that's the hard thing when you, how do you make, how do you raise the stakes? How do you create drama and suspense and obstacles when there is no antagonist? When the antagonist really is that there is someone else, someone who's fallen in love with. Right. Um, So that was kind of the cool thing because after Surrender Your Sons, which was, all antagonists. It was like, it was like oops, all antagonists. Um, and it's just, everyone's got a knife. And and it was like everything was danger. And then you go to this book where there, there were there's where just everyone, everyone in this book is someone you would allow in your life responsibly. Like there's no one who's like, oh my God, get that person out. Um, even the person who's who's misbehaving, and even the person who's like acting out of pain um, and makes mistakes out of pain. They're, they're doing it for a very clear reason. And it's also, and it's unfortunately going to be very relatable. So you're going to be relating to a lot of the good parts of Micah and his friends. And unfortunately you're going to relate to when Micah and his friends make big mistakes that cause pain, because like they're always coming from these very, very real, very understandable places where you make a mistake. Um, and I think that's the thing about that I, that I really, really hope for, for this book is to show, you know, young queers, young readers about all kinds, um, you know, having having a relationship with someone, if that's something that you want and you engage with that, that's a responsibility. Um, you get all the good with that, but then there's a responsibility that comes with that where you, um, and, I, and the problem that Micah runs into where he has been so dateless for so long, he can't conceive of, you know, a multiple people wanting to be with him suddenly after years of what death. feels like forever, right? <laughs> right. And that, I mean that's a very real queer thing, real person thing too, but like very mm-hmm. clear is like it's a desert and then suddenly there's like two people. And it's like, <laughs> oh God, you know, and, and 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 you're just like, wait, now I have to be the I have to choose and I have to like now I, I have, have to be the bad, bad person. I have to do yeah. the bad thing. I don't yeah. want to be the bad, you know, like, and, that's, and, that, and that sucks. Um, but then you have to do that. And it's like, okay, well, here's how you do that. Um, and then there's another thing is, you know, that Micah deals with, which is, you know, um, he doesn't realize his own power to hurt someone. Because he's like, I'm this sweet guy. And, I, and I'm, I'm the one who's like under every, like, I'm the one who, who loses, who gets told no. And, you know, and, um things don't work out for you know how could I hurt someone and then that's a big big thing that hits him very hard near the end of the book is like oh I've hurt I've hurt two people really badly um in a very real way and that first time you ever do that 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 ever happens for you is a very very powerful moment where you realize oh I'm not just this I'm not just this gay baby who can who can say things and there's no consequences and I have no real responsibility because that's a that's a way I think for, pe- for people to minimize themselves as a way to kind of get out of that responsibility that we have to each other, especially within the queer community who can, who can unfortunately all too often hurt each other. Um, when, you know, when we ha- all have a responsibility to each other, even if we're not in a relationship with them, um, is that kindness, is that softness, because we all are, uh, are are part of this community. Um, and that's something that was very, very important to me to show with this, that even if he, Micah does not engage with the relationship with them, 
it was very important that he learn that he possesses a power that can be very, he can really improve someone's life, but that he can also, you know, if he's not very careful, he can create a lot of pain and chaos for, in someone's life. And for someone who's his whole life has felt like, you know, sort of a featured extra in the background of other people's stories, it blows his mind. And I think that's something that I think a lot of people are going to be able to relate to. Absolutely. The the two sides of every coin that we all have the power to kind of create and destroy. Yeah. Well, as we start to wrap up, um, just to be nosy, since there are so many trips to Audrey's, what is your drink order at a cafe? Oh, my cafe order. So so Micah's main drink is a dirty chai, which is which is a chai latte with espresso in it. Um, my, you know, I back when I was a barista myself, my go-to order was a caramel macchiato. Um, okay. And it was soy when I back when I drank soy, but I don't do that anymore. Um, and um, we've all moved on socially from soy. Um, we sure have. <laughs> <laughs> my gosh. I feel like this just like dates me so much. I'm just like, yeah, it was soy. Um, I know. But, like, now uh, it's oat milk because they have it. <laughs> now it's oat milk. Now it's going to be, there's going to be, we're going to, we're going to find a new thing to be milking and it's going to be very expensive wait. and I can't <laughs> wait. And for the rest of our lives, we're going to be finding new stuff. new fake milk and honestly i'm here for it because it's gonna be like plastic milk milk from plastic (laughs) well i mean we gotta clean up the ocean somehow (laughs) milk the plastic get him get the microplastics in um (laughs) you know so i i so i think that usually it's a caramel much like um i think that was my thing but but it is it is a little pricey but um a little bit i have been liking um Gosh, I don't know. Like, I, yeah, I, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say that. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'm all for that. Um, anything you're reading right now that you want to shout out? Oh my gosh. Um, so I'm I'm between books right now because I am in I'm in Deadline Land. Um, oh yes. Yes, the, I am. Oh the worst God. time, but also the best <laughs> time. <laughs> I'm like I can't. I am. I'm just underwater. But um, gosh, the last the last really great um really great book I read that's out now I would say would be um The Honeys of by mm-hmm. Ryan LaSalle. Thank you Ryan I, yeah probably by the probably by the time this comes out because it comes out August 16th next yes like, yeah this will be out week. after that some stores it's already out um right we have that very soft <laughs> I'm nine now where everything's just like oh the book is here quick um <laughs> right launch um, whatever it's really great as an author to just be like that's sort of the, d- the date um <laughs> Very great. It's not stressful at all. Um, mm-hmm. So that was a fabulous book. Um, that's uh, and that's uh, that's horror. It's kind of mm-hmm. like it's Samar meets Hereditary. It's very A twenty four for teens. Oh um, yeah, yeah. We love Ryan. Wait, Ryan's <laughs> great. Um, so I read that, and then there's um, upcoming uh, coming out in April twenty twenty three from Tortine. Um, okay, it's a book called Blood Debts by Terry J Benton Walker, um, and oh. that is. I, that should just get it on your radars now if it's not already. Um, that is a dual POV um, a black queer contemporary fantasy where oh. um, Terry's a super marvelous person. I was so lucky that I got to read the earliest versions of this back when he was he was querying. Um, and then I and then now oh my god it's an even it's an even stronger place so it's coming out from tour and it's um and it's about um these it's about these two twins and they're in New Orleans uh, and their their mom is 
uh, sort of used to be the head of, of, of this, of, of the head of, you know, the sort of magical council in New Orleans. Um, and uh, she's gone, she's taken mysteriously ill. And so they are trying to find out if someone is, 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 is hexing her and what is behind that. And there's a whole conspiracy. So it's a dual POV and it's, um, uh, and it's uh, a girl named Chris and a boy named Clem. And, uh, you know, and, and we don't have like, we don't have any or nearly enough um, black gay boys in, right. in fantasy at all. I, I mean, I'm, it's very struggling to, you know, think right. of those. And, and Clem is such a special character because he's just so, you know, completely tells it like it is. And it's just, and it's very like, and it's very just like, you know, um, very sexually free and he's just a very self-possessed person um there is no navel gazing he's just completely like ready to solve this mystery such a cool <laughs> character um it, you can you can uh you can pre-order it now um i have seen the cover the cover is going to come out i don't know when it's soon but it's, it's going to blow everybody's minds blood debts and oh, okay. april um get, get on it get, so like if you again it's like it's it's i think if you, you use a thriller lever you know it's it's more fantasy but like there is oh you've already said it. all of the right words for I, me I when you hit magic in new orleans <laughs> i know i feel like i'm like an early investor in starbucks like i'm just like please get it i'm like i'm so happy i'm in on the ground floor this is gonna be just so huge to be on everybody's lips um so that's i think just everybody just put that on your radar so the honeys by ryan salad and blood deaths by terry jeep and walker get it on there now well, perfect. Thank you for those. Uh, both of which, absolutely, everyone needs to read. <laughs> um, before I let you go, where can the listeners find you online? You can find me on all social platforms at the Adam Sess. Um, mostly on Twitter. I probably should do less of that, but I, it's just in my blood. Um, it's the times. <laughs> it's terrible. It's the times. <laughs> I don't even know if it's good for business anymore. I think it's just just for like, hey, if you want to like start your day bad in, um, in the wildest way possible twitter.com will get you there <laughs> so you can find me there mostly but i am on instagram and i'm on tiktok wonderful and then now truly before i let you go anything else you'd like listeners to take away from uh this book oh well um oh i will also say so again like this is a, the nine day boyfriends of micah summers is really aimed for um you know uh i think it's if again if you are if you are missing Heartstopper if you have read all the books if you have seen all the shows and you're just waiting for season two if you're waiting for the next thing I really do believe this is the book for you not only because of the story matter but because also there is amazing illustrations within the book because we include I mentioned at the top that Micah is an artist and he draws the boyfriends and he draws Boy 100 uh, and he draws a lot of his journey after this so there's um, there's about a dozen illustrations all done by our wonderful cover designer, Ann Palmel, um, and they're throughout. So there's there's definitely like an illustrated element. It's not as obviously illustrated as Heartstopper, but I do believe like it's gonna scratch your itch. If that's where you're, if that's where you're going from this. There's an, uh, the epilogue is all illustrated. Um, uh, it's all done through like Instagram captions. It's all a fake Instagram post. So I hope you enjoyed that. It, so much fun. Uh, listeners, truly, please snap this up immediately. Uh, but Adam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. It was absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, everyone, enjoy the rest of your day. And of course, happy reading. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode on Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. 
Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcast.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Emma Dwyer, Jill Grunewald, and Joe Skelly, and presented by Overdrive. To learn more, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.